It's time for the only wrestling podcast on earth with one two-time MLB All-Star, one comeback player of the year, one man who is, what, first year taking his high school team to the playoffs, someone who is just like a little 12-year-old boy right now and probably has done nothing in his career to hurt the Chicago Cubs, so it makes our guests super oh. happy. Oh, that's right. That's the <laughs> beat Hey, how you guys doing? The t-shirt of the night is an old school Jake the Snake, how to DDT somebody. Oh, hell yeah. And we won yesterday in our first round of playoffs, and we play again on Tuesday. We oh, won yeah. nothing. Did you, you do anything good against the Cubs? Oh, yes. Plenty plenty of good times Everybody. in Chicago. Everybody's yes. done something good against the Cubs. <laughs> We have one two-time X Division champion, the man behind the man behind the man at Impact Wrestling. My best friend and yours, that's Petey Williams. How's she going, eh? Uh, that Canadian coming out. Mm -hmm. He's been rocking your balls off all around the world since the 90s. One of my favorite bands growing up. God, spent hundreds of dollars because CDs were so expensive back in the day. I'm still on that kick. That's Lars Fredrickson. Now, Lars... You yes. have to introduce him. You, you. Oh, well, you know, here's Phil. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Phil? No, no, honestly, honestly. How you doing, Phil? One of my Dimitri. best friends, One of my best, shh, don't cut me off. One of my best friends in the whole world. Love him to death. Known him for a long ass time. We're super stoked to have you. Mr. CM Punk, everybody give him a round of applause. What's up? Uh, nothing. I, I was unaware that I was going to be on with a former St. Louis Cardinal. So <laughs> I'm going to slap the shit out of you when I see you the next time. Uh, but I think, I mean, you only, you, how, how many years did you play for the Cardinals, Dimitri? It was only like a cup of coffee. Yeah, literally. I mean, I was drafted in the first round by the Cardinals in 91, got to the big leagues in 96, and after the 97 season, I became a Cincinnati Red, and that's when I started doing some real damage against the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, well, all right. I was trying to, I was trying to fucking let you off the hook. You hey, hey, keep bringing up the hey, past. Off the hook. Hey, that's my nickname, the meat hook. Hey, I love it. Yeah. When's the last time the Reds won anything? Waiting. Uh, hey, I don't claim the Reds okay. either. I don't get any paychecks from them. <laughs> so, before we get started, this is not going to be an interview. We're going to just talk wrestling like a bunch of nerds at a bar or watching a pay-per-view at someone's house. So, if you're in the chat rooms, because we're recording this pre, and then you guys will be able to chat. Stop. Don't, don't do the questions that he normally gets. We're going to avoid those. There's going to be a time we're going to get to ask him, but this is not the time. Just sit back and enjoy CM Punk. Just talking wrestling and being a fan. CM, thank you so much for joining the show, by the way. Oh, no problem. All right, let's let's start. Move on. Slammiversary on the last podcast, which nobody ever watches us anyways. So don't worry about people blowing back on you, Punk. It's it's you're safe here. Very oh, okay, great. Yeah, say whatever you want. Nobody's watching. But we awesome. did talk about Slammiversary and how they needed to have fans. Thankfully, after we put the podcast out, they announced they announced they had fans. I think it's like 250 bucks a ticket. You get a whole bunch of uh, chintzy crap, which I'll read off here in a second. I did reach out to Impact for a statement on how many tickets were available. They told me, no, they're not going to tell me in a very nice way. So thanks, Pete, for your people to really show me some love there. Uh, but wow, $250. They sold out at 20 minutes. So 
I guess the math is has to be like 150 people tops. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny here either, but that's kind of a high price point for a studio impact show to sell out in 20 minutes. And I'm, it's not a knock, but if you do the math, they can't be any more than 150, maybe 170, right? Um, wrestling in that soundstage, it depends how they're going to do it because obviously when we film with no crowd, we, we move in the, you know, the curtains and stuff in the set. So I don't know if they're going to expand it out a little bit because they can, because we do photos and all that kind of stuff on the side. So they can expand it out more. I, I don't know how they're going to do the seating, um, concession stands. Like it's a, it's a soundstage. Like it's, I would say if I had to guess how many people you could fit in there, you might be right with 150. I'd say like maybe like a hundred. I, I don't know. Uh, man, that that's a tough one. Cause if they if they expand it, they could probably fit like two two fifty in there if they want it to. It depends if they're gonna buy bleachers and bring them in and you know kind of doll up the place. Um, if they're gonna switch the hard cam so it's not facing the the you know the entrance ramp, all that kind of stuff. So and I don't know personally. I don't know how many tickets they sold. I didn't ask. Uh, I'd probably get the same answer as you, Dennis. So. They're very nice to me. And just so you know, Punk, uh, Impact is a small little wrestling company that used to be owned by TNA. Just, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not on your radar. Don't worry. But uh, sellout, a sellout's a sellout. God damn it. Yeah. 50 people. Bam. Yep. Doesn't doesn't matter. It's sold out. Standing room only. Well, I think no vacancy. Well, I mean, the wrestlers are probably just excited to have somebody there. I mean, I've done shows, you know, in Germany in 1993 to like, three American servicemen and a bunch of squat dogs. And it's just like, you know, I mean, just having somebody there, you know, yeah, somebody who wants to be there too. There's a big difference. There's a big distinction. Yeah. And, and I mean, honestly, it's like the price point. I mean, that's just where things are going now because I mean, you know, especially in music, it's, it's just like, you have to almost be to, to uh, sort of support, what you're actually, because I mean, it's more, it's a more of, a, of an expensive world out there. And now just with, you know, the COVID thing and all the restrictions, it's hard to put asses in seats and then do it like, you know, I, are they going to socially distance PD? You know, it's like, there's all these questions out here. I mean, I just think if you're a wrestler or a performer, if you got, you know, 50 people in there, that's more than enough. I mean, because, you know, you've wrestled in front of no people PD, right? I mean, you've done it. Yeah. And I mean, Literally. but, and, uh, but also punks here who's wrestled in front of people and, but never had the opportunity to wrestle without, you know, not in front of people. It's oh, like, I've wrestled, in, I've wrestled in front of no people plenty of times. Yeah. Ian Absolutely. Riley, right. It's just not, just not in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, my going point. back to, uh, where, where was that place, punk? IWA Mid South, like back, uh, yep. I don't remember the place. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so Ian used to run. Uh, Ian ran in Kentucky until um, all the slice and dice light tube tomfoolery got all pro wrestling in Kentucky thrown out of all armories. Uh, so that's like the big heat between Jim Cornette and Ian Rotten. I started working for Ian right around this time. It was like, I don't know, 2000, 2001 ish. And Ian would run out of this old Kmart building and then he got thrown out of there and then started running a barn in the middle of Charlestown, Indiana, just over the border, just over the river. And he would run every Saturday and Wednesday. And I would work for him every Saturday and Wednesday I could. And then I would fill in all my other bookings, like wherever else I could go. And then Ian would put me on for five 
bucks, 10 bucks, barely gas money crash at Chris hero's place. I think that's where I met you for the first time. That is, I, uh, um, and so a lot of those shows, yeah, you, you wrestle and, you know, in front of, if you're lucky three, seven people. And then, uh, I did a lot of OVW shows, um, in a lot of those same towns in Indiana and, uh, Kentucky. And a lot of the times, you know, we had a rule, I think if six, if it was, uh, less than six people, we would just refund their money and pack up and go home. <laughs> that, that I, I concur with that because the first time I ever went to Ian's, uh, you know, in that, that barn area in Kentucky, uh, there was less than six people. Uh, we were running late for the show. I was getting dressed in the car and they canceled like right when we pulled up. And then that's when we went that's to awesome. Russell house, Chris Hero's house. And I think that's probably where I met you. I'm pretty yep. sure that was the day. Dimitri, that's like playing in Detroit, right? <laughs> no that's that's not like a ball you know you're going to those little towns in the midwest and you know they have one mcdonald's one denny's and and two gas stations and a super eight motel very familiar with that and still in pillows in the in the minor leagues used to do that well i love I, it i will take something back the perks that they're giving away are actually somewhat kind of cool you get a little lanyard you get an event t-shirt uh, mounted poster, a uh, post-show photo with uh, ringside or in the entrance ramp with the X Division champion. Wow, there are more people touching that belt than you, Pete. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, you get part of the canvas. Um, you get you get to actually watch them cut the canvas and hand it out. That's kind of cool. Some impact. Kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Come on, here, have some, have some staph infection. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're cutting up a canvas. Oh, Whose idea was this? Is this Don Callis's idea? He doesn't work there anymore. He doesn't work there anymore. Wait, you just, he doesn't work there anymore? Oh why are you God. worried about saying anything bad about him? That's why I said former, but well, okay, so let me take it back for oh a second. Oh my God. So give me the scoops, Petey. I'll give you the scoop. All right, so impact right now is kind of doing business with uh aw right yes don works for aw now and you know i work for impact and you know tony khan's at our shows and stuff and you know we're, we kind of have a working relationship so uh don is still you know very what's the why doesn't he work for impact anymore i i, I contract but expired. he did he, he did, did when the angle started yes, yeah absolutely right? yep yeah all right all right, I'm, so, I'm veering off course. I apologize. Yeah, and Kenny Omega is the Impact World Champion. So yes, okay, that I know. Okay, that I know. And he beat who did he beat? Rich Swan. Rich Swan. Okay, right. And then since we're here, I think June 12th he's facing like Moose at Against All Odds. There we go. Nice plug. Little plug. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, outside of the staff infection that uh, fans will be able to get, they get complimentary water, uh, <laughs> drinks, candy bars, Robert Irvine's Fit Crunch Protein Bars. That's Scale Kim's husband who does the Food Network stuff. So it sounds like there may not be a concession stand, but you oh, wait. Can't. Hold on a second. They're giving you protein bars and candy bars. Yeah. So okay. So Are let's you not team wrestling fans. Well, you know here. Well, here's what I want to know. <laughs> what is going to be more consumed at a wrestling show candy bars or protein bars meth 
Phil. Ooh. <laughs> um, candy bars by the boys <laughs> and the fans, 100%. This is kind of like Hollywood Squares we got going right now. You know what I mean? So I want uh, Phil for the X. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil. Yeah, uh, I did that. See how I did that? Yeah, that's well, cute. I like it. You know, give me a writing job, Petey. Yeah, hey, <laughs> Shoot, they won't even return our emails, much less give you a writing job, Lars. Well, fair enough. Well, what I want to know is, it's like, you know, you two guys, you know, since we have you here and you're talking about IWA and wrestling in front of six people, what is the worst place that you can remember staying and uh, describe the conditions? Because, you know, I think all of us here, maybe, maybe except for you, Dennis, have been in, have been on the road, and we've stayed in some shit ass places. I've got my story, but I, but I would love to hear the nightmare story of the place that you stayed, if you can remember it. Didi, oh God, I don't know, Chris Hero's house? No. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, uh, not yeah. that it was not that it was filthy or anything like that but i've got a million stories from just staying at chris heroes just based on like the litany of people that were like in and out of that house at any given time you know like it was there was that was a wild that was a wild place you would you would think that uh, chris heroes house like those looking like that don't know like the the neighbors and stuff they'd be like man that's a flop house that's definitely a drug house there's so much drugs going. Mm-hmm. there was no drugs there like it's just like hey we're just chilling there because we can't pay for a hotel um mm-hmm. You know, I've stayed at a like a Roach Motel before, like just some indie show. I can't even remember where, but I, I remember I'm like, yeah, I'm like I can hear the train tracks. It's like right there. It's like graded stairs walking down. Like there's there's no way that this like past code or anything like that. Um, but I, we used to book those places on purpose. Why? Like, you know, us X Division guys, we were making like next to like no money. We're trying to bunk up like four to five to a room. And I would find the cheapest hotel. It's like, yep, this one's 40 bucks. Okay. I know it's in a bad neighborhood and you know, there's probably a pimp next door and a, you know, hooker the other on the other side, but we're going to stay there and we're going to make some money because, or save some money. What's that? What's the name of this hotel? Just for research purposes. (laughs) I don't know. Probably America's best value in or something. I don't know. Just make sure I get, get there early enough where the good hookers are still around, but divorced now. So I, I can do that kind of stuff. How about you punk? Um, I'll, I will remember more stories once we're done taping this. So I'll, I'll text Lars, I'll text you a couple that come to mind is when I first started on the road, uh, in WWE, it was just like Petey said, it was all about saving money. So you would try to jam as many people as you possibly could in the cheapest minivan while trying to hustle the person at the, the rental car desk about, you know, you're trying to get the, the minivan for like 10 bucks a day, you know? Um, so I had a lot of different road families and there was one particular time, uh, a lot of the ECW guys could not rent uh, a vehicle. So a lot of the times I would land in whatever town we were in and Sabu, Balls Mahoney, Sandman, they'd all be like standing near and around the, the rental counters because they had to hitch a ride somehow. And I wasn't going to say no to these guys. You know, um, me and Hack used to travel from Philly 
to Baltimore to fly on Southwest because TNA was too cheap to fly us out of Philly to Nashville. We had to drive to Baltimore to fly to Nashville. Um, so I would wind up driving like all the, the ECW, for lack of a better term, derelicts, who I loved. I loved them. So one particular road trip, I'm traveling with Sabu and uh, Test and Kelly Kelly. And Test and Kelly Kelly are a, are an item. So Test books the hotels and he gets a room for, for me and Sabu, who's sharing a room with Sabu is a fucking a real treat when you're a when you're a pro wrestling fan and you know you grow up and you think ecw is the coolest thing and you see sabu and he's like the wildest guy and then you're sharing a room with him it's just like man <laughs> it's it's wild but we checked into this room uh and all of a sudden i hear kelly kelly like screaming down the hallway and test is like what the fuck he's texting me he's like get over here get over here and we walk into this room we're like what he's like i need you guys to see this because i can't believe this and they bring us into the bathroom and there's blood all over the yeah. sink. There's blood all over the bathtub. Like not as much as if you were like dressed a deer or like some sort of giant carcass in the bathtub, but like way more than like, oh, I cut myself shaving and there's like a little bit of blood. Like the sink was at one time filled with blood and it was like dried and like it was wild and i don't know how you give somebody that hotel room so like we went downstairs and they were like oh the the the, the hotel's booked we're so sorry we can't do but me and sabu had a a room so i had to share a room that night with sabu kelly kelly and test and it was a fucking disaster and the whole time like i didn't sleep at all because sabu was wild like i remember waking up at one point and being like, what the fuck are you doing? And he had taken the, the ironing board like down and he's like, I'm gonna sleep on the ironing board. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, like, I, I, you know, love Sabu, uh, safe assumption that um, there was probably some substances involved. Uh, but, you know, I, I, as Petey said, I probably saved some money that night. Um, Another time, and this isn't gross or disgusting, but this is just really weird. Uh, me and Kofi, who I was probably the guy I traveled with the most when I was in WWE, we checked into a room one time and we opened up the, the, the door to the room and we looked in and there was a pizza on the bed. And we were both like, hello? No answer, you know, like kick open the bathroom door, nobody in the bathroom. There's a steaming hot pizza with one slice missing from the pizza and we're like, <laughs> i mean I, we're like looking under the beds like call down and be like uh, there's a pizza on our bed like did did you give this room to somebody else like the beds were made everything was fine there was just a pizza on the bed and the, the lady was like i am i have no idea what you're talking about and i'm like well it's not a fucking ghost pizza lady like somebody <laughs> was in this room shortly before us because the pizza's still hot you know it was just a weird, it was just a weird situation. I stayed in plenty of crummy places where you got to sleep on the floor and there's, you know, there's bugs and all kinds of stuff. But those are the two that stick out to me. The, the ghost pizza and the, the blood all over the hotel room Ugh. and shacking up with Sabu. Did you guys eat the pizza? Fuck no. Okay. I just had to ask. No. I was curious myself. Thank you, Jimmy. How about you, Dimitri, being minor league ball player? <laughs> 
you know, listening to all the stories, um, I'm thinking of the Markham Inn in Little Rock, Arkansas. I spent two and a half years in Little Rock in AA with the St. Louis Cardinals organization. And when you get to town, that's also for the visiting team that stays there. This place was a hellhole. It was a real piece of shit. I remember picking up uh, one of the players for the other team. And as he checks in, he runs out and calls his manager. There's um, must've been drugs or something going on. They had the needle and all that shit set up. That was sitting in the bed and stuff. And um, yeah, he wound up switching rooms and, um, there was a lot of prostitution and pimping going on there. And um, and once and, and you know when you are a slump buster yourself, Dennis, me and you, I'm talking to you right now, Dennis. Yeah. Being a slump buster, you know, and, and the hotel uh, little hostess is there she, and, and you need to get a workout in, you know. There <laughs> we go. So, <laughs> you know what? The thing that I want to talk about right now is the current state of the of wrestling and get back, get back onto that topic and just, and talk about, um, you know, the right things that are happening. Like in certain companies, I see them doing a lot of good things, but the, obviously the good comes with the bad. Do you I like this idea, Lars? I like, I like positivity instead of well, negativity, I think, because it's easy to, it's easy to shit on things, right? Like I tweeted the other day about like, I can't remember what I said, but I don't know. Everybody's bummed about wrestling, but I, I like the idea of saying, well, let's not harp on the bad. Let's talk about what, what's good. I like that. Good for you. I feel like we can all be like armchair bookers, right? Like, yes. can all, you know, you know, it's easy to do. It's very easy to do. And especially as wrestling fans, you know what I mean? It's obvious, you know, it's like, if you know, you two guys being professional wrestlers, you must've been fans to begin with. Otherwise you probably never would have stepped in, stepped into the ring or entered into the door or, or followed your passion, wrestled in front of six guys, you know what I mean? Stayed in, in shitty hotels. I mean, it's all for the passion, right? Yeah. So, you know, when, when you're looking at things going well, do you feel like it's a combination of the creative aspect of uh, like the creative uh, department and the wrestler, or do you think it's more of like the wrestler um, having that creative freedom? Like what's most important, do you think, is having good writers or having that creative freedom? Petey. All right, so. Okay, this is gonna be interesting. This is gonna be interesting political diplomatic answer because you work for a wrestling company. <laughs> we'll pretend you just didn't say that. So I'm really partial to Impact Wrestling, believe it or not. Oh, um, I see. <laughs> But no, seriously, I mean, uh, you you know Jimmy, right? Jimmy Jacobs. I, I think he's one of the most yeah. like, brilliant minds when it comes to writing wrestling. I really do. That That's my personal opinion. Even if he didn't work for, like, he was working for WWE, I thought he was brilliant. Like, just Does he work wait. for TNA? Or is it, it's not TNA, right? I keep calling no, it TNA. It's, it's, it's Impact. impact. Yeah. Okay, so apologies. So he, yeah, he's like the, the, the guy. Him, R.D. Evans, you got Damore, uh, Dreamer, uh, and then it, it was Don Callis. Uh, but so it's, it's them four that pr primarily do all the writing. And what I like about it is it kind of has that ECW feel as in like you, you, anybody on the roster, even the lowest guy and the highest guy, like the lowest guy could beat the highest guy at any given night on like on their good night. And that's what I like about impact. Like they're very mm, not concerned, but like very aware 
of like, okay, we've been beating this guy a lot. We need to give him a win to build him back up and all that kind of stuff. So I really like how they do that. Um, and I like the freedom that they give us. They're like, okay, this is the storyline. They don't like sit, they don't write out our promos. Like, okay, you have to start with a and go to Z. It's like, okay, these are the bullet points, do your character. So I think just giving the wrestlers and the talent, like creative freedom of what to do. And they'll tell you if they don't like it. It's like, no, that's not the direction we're going. And those creative juices flow. And it's amazing what some of the wrestlers come up with. Like the writer would never think of that. They're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's great. Yeah. Do that. That That's awesome. So I really like the freedom of it. And I, that that's the one really good thing I like about impact and you know, how they do things. Now, let me ask you something, Punk, and uh, I, I'm a fan. We're all fans of yours, of course, and being trained by somebody and then creating a wrestling idea and being able to create storylines, do you know where you kind of were, were taught the creative aspect of wrestling? Uh, I, I think just being in and around so many different people and keeping my mouth shut most of the time and just listening um i had a lot of people that would gleefully mentor me you know um when i mean i, I a lot of the times i never know how it happened harley race for instance you know what i mean um i think carmine dispirito and mid america wrestling just brought harley in to be a referee for a match i had and through that this um this friendship kind of blossomed between me and Harley. Um, I drove him back to his hotel that night. He barfed in my car famously. Um, I think he felt awful about that. Uh, but then like me and Ace, Ace Steele, the guy who trained me, you know, he winds up moving to Eldon, Missouri. Um, he buys Harley's gym off him, runs it like, you know, like the, the fitness gym part of it. Harley kept the wrestling part of it. And Harley books me an ace like every chance he gets. And like Harley was a guy like, like I would get to the show and he would be like, hey, punk, come here. And I would walk into the locker room with him and there'd be nobody else around. And he would just sit down and he would go, sit down, don't say anything. And I'd sit down and not say anything. And he's got razor blades and a, a pair of scissors and tape. And he, I just watch him make blades. And I'm just like, I'm like a fucking kid in a candy store because I can't believe this is happening for one. Um, I think the first time I bladed, I was probably 19 years old and I had the entire razor blade like in my wrist, the entire razor blade. Like, that, I mean, it's, you know, when you think about it, it's huge. And I'm watching Harley like cut this tiny sliver off the corner of the razor blade. And I'm just going, <laughs> of course of course you know um other other notables that uh i had the benefit of sitting under their learning tree uh really early sensational sherry i had a i had like a couple of matches with sherry like late 99 early 2000 um and you know it's not even so much they're just like like, hey, kid, this is what to do and this is what not to do. It's just being around them and listening to them and talking to them. I got to wrestle Terry Funk a bunch of times, uh, 2002, 2003-ish. Um, and what I would find is I would work with all these, quote unquote, old timers. And, you know, after 
after a while, I started to actually believe that they liked me. At first, I was just like, oh, they probably just say this to everybody, right? Um, but after a while, you're just like, man, this is this is wild, you know? Like, I, I somehow became the guy that was known to be safe enough, um, respectful enough, safe enough, smart enough to work with uh, all the old timers. And like guys like Dusty loved me, Harley loved me, Terry Funk loved me. And I, my reputation grew based on, that was the biggest badge of honor to me. My reputation grew off that. I think one of the last matches I ever had on the Indies was in Tampa at the Double Tree, right off the highway. And it was, it was the silliest match I've ever been in. You, you couldn't, you couldn't drive. It was like a, a weird, like mid nineties. What was the, the Japanese promotion? Was it, was it war? They would bring in and do like all these weird six mans. It, Lars, help me out. Yes, I think it was war. Was it war or something like that? Maybe it was FMW. Wing. I don't know. Wing. But Wing? Yeah, something like that. Well, I'm sure Wing can, but but the 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 match is uh me, Kevin Sullivan, Abdullah the Butcher, managed by Oliver Humperdink, <laughs> taking on the tag team of Dusty Rhodes and his son Dustin and Mike Graham. Ooh. And the entire affair is refereed by Mick Foley. Go figure. I don't know. And I just remember, <laughs> I just remember everyone looking at me kind of like, the fuck are you doing here? And then me being like, I got booked. I'm just enjoying myself right now. You, you know what I mean? Because Dimitri, it'd be like playing with like Lou Gehrig. And I mean, like all these superstars you grew up wrestling and then they genuinely like you too. I just remember Abby just being like, if you don't want to get cut, just stay away from me, kid. I'd be like, well, you're on my team, so please don't cut me, Mr. Butcher. <laughs> and then they did this weird thing where they, like, they did this the switch with the managers. So Humperdinck turned he heel or, or turned babyface or something like that. And Har like I wound at the end of the match, I just started feeding for everybody. And I saw Harley start turning his rings around and I knew that many wanted to punch me. So I fed for Harley, boom. I got soccoed by Mick Foley. None of this was called, but I remember prior to the match, right before we went out, the promoter came in and he's like, all right, guys, just give me 30 minutes, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he walks out and Dusty walks up and he goes, no, listen to a thing that man said, baby, just, just follow me. He's like, we're going. And we must have, we, we maybe went four minutes. And that was like with a big spot. Like Mike Graham really wanted to test me and like run a, a, a fucking like a Tennessee two-step spot with me. And it was just wild. So um, just being able to learn from all those people, I think, uh, and, and being a fan of pro wrestling was kind of the genesis of being creative. But I think a lot of the times the best stuff, you also just kind of got to go with the flow with it. You know, and I'll use I'll use Roman Reigns as an example, um, because if we're talking about good stuff, if the WWE does anything good, I mean, this is the one thing that they're doing right right now, right? Is Roman Reigns like his character work, his in ring stuff, like it's all great. But I feel like classic WWE, they're always five years, ten years late. Like this is something that they should have done originally because they tried so hard to get this guy over his baby face and they give him x amount of mania main events and they're just like this is the guy this is the guy this is the guy and he never really had his moments until now maybe he needed that adversity and that backlash to finally be this guy but this is the one thing they're doing right because what can you say bad about what 
Roman Reigns is doing right now. He's far and away like the best guy they have. And when you talk about storylines, in-ring work and all that stuff right now, he's the total package. So he's, he's exactly like for the first time in his career, and I'm not being mean to Roman Reigns. I just feel like he's finally where they pushed him to be. And it just took a minute. You know what I mean? Well, that makes sense. Sometimes it takes uh, time for guys to grow. I mean, like I said, Dimitri, you're a pro athlete. How many times have you played in the minor leagues with a guy and you're like, that guy's never going to make it. And then he's an all-star four years later. Well, hell, they said that about me too. You know, and you see that. All along, you see guys that slowly develop, and then you see the guys that peak too soon, and then two, three years down the road, they fizzle away. Meanwhile, you had that one guy that's scratching and clawing, and the next thing you know, he makes a couple of tweaks, and then bam. So see it all the time. It's kind of like the Bill Goldberg story, isn't it? Oh, so, Lars. Oh, that was just comic relief. But anyways... Um, <laughs> Uh, sorry for no selling that one thank you but anyways um (laughs) okay so you know i mean staying on the positive thing like you know we we everybody knows like your grievances with wrestling what are the best takeaways for you as a human being now you know you're kind of in a place where you know you're you're over 40 you know not trying to out you you gave it you're, away. Great, you're in great shape. You've done the MMA stuff. You've been an actor or, you know, you are an actor. Girl on the third floor. Great movie. The takeaways from pro wrestling. How do you think they helped you in your life today? Uh, I mean, paid me a lot of money and I'm, I met my wife because of my job. So, you know, those are those are the two big uh, takeaways. They did try to take a lot of my money, um, but they were very unsuccessful in that. Um, you know, I, I think I'm, I, I've always been a big believer and David Batista is the same way. Uh, he calls himself a dream chaser and it's just like, I just figured out at an early age, probably because my parents forced me to like go to church and stuff. And then I immediately started to realize that like a lot of stuff was just bullshit and life is short and you need to figure out what you love and just try to do that for a living. You know, I was floored when somebody paid me to, to like the first time I ever made money wrestling, I was just like, well, fuck, I don't, I don't have to have a real job ever, ever again. So, you know, then I I'm getting my hands tattooed and like stupid shit. I was all in, you know, and it just, it let me follow my dreams. And I've got, I've, I've been everywhere twice because of wrestling you know what i mean and like i said i met my wife um uh, all the all the fans bought my house so i, I appreciate that that's a that's a nice one that was comic relief Lars. well you're yeah. welcome <laughs> yeah. well they bought my house too so yeah absolutely i wish i would fucking ship in for the property tax every now and again <laughs> <laughs> well it looks like somebody's gonna have to lace them up again if you fucking want more money but hey but so i don't need what I, don't I was, need more money. what I was trying to say, what I was trying to say though, is like, you know, in your acting career, the one, you know, cause I seen you cut promos. I've seen, you know, I've sort of seen a snapshot into the way that you kind of do your thing, you know, and get psyched up for that. How different is that? Because it's like a, lo- a lot of the stuff you were doing in wrestling, correct me if I'm wrong, was very pretty much off the cuff. You were calling audibles, you were doing things, you're bringing mm-hmm. 
you know, certain things into your, your, uh, your repertoire, you know, and it would change. But with the acting, right, it's, it's like, here's the script, here's the lines, how much ad-libbing was, was, was done there? And do you think like, because of the ad-libbing with your promos and wrestling, was it e easier to remember this kind of stuff to deliver it on, uh, on a camera? Well, I, I very much look at wrestling nowadays as theater, right? Um, there was probably a time I might've been offended if somebody said that, right? It's like calling it fake. Um, there was probably a time I get mad if somebody called it fake. Now I call it fake all the time. But I, 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 you, know, you know what I mean? Like people will use the argument like, oh, well, so are movies. And my argument is, yeah, but Al Pacino didn't go do pressers dressed as Scarface with his bullshit accent, trying to get you to believe that he was really a Cuban immigrant that built a cocaine empire, you know, yada, yada, yada. Pro wrestling is its own thing. And if you view it as its own thing, um, it's all things, you know, because you have to be in front of a camera. A lot of the times it's live television. There's, there's no higher pressure situation than live television. You know, everybody watches you, you know, you dick fall out, you shit your pants, like that all lives forever, right? Um, and I've had all those things happen to me. So it's just like when you cross over, when you cross over to do film, um, it makes doing film a lot easier because you're given a script and you get to work on your lines. And if you fuck up, you get to do it again. Um, I've been on television shows where there's been 20 takes and it's not because anybody sucks. It's just because you got to find your rhythm. You know what I mean? Um, Dimitri, I can maybe make the, the, the reference that this is kind of like, it's kind of like hitting, you know, if you're cold and you're not warmed up and you're facing a picture you've never seen before, like takes a second, right? You, you want to take the first pitch to see what he's got. You know what I mean? And that's, that's like the first take that's take number one. Okay. Let's do it again. I, throws another pitch. Okay. That's take two. You're getting a little bit warmed up. You start swinging, you start making contact. Eventually you hit the ball in the gap, you know, or you hit a home run. That's what film is like to me. And wrestling really prepared me for all that. Um, the days at television make even the longest, most grueling days on a set pale in comparison. Cause I'm like, I feel like I've already, well, I, I've already, you know, I've already done it. So like when people are like, oh, we're very, very sorry that we didn't get the leg, we got to shoot it again. I'm always just like, that's cool. You know, do it again. Well, some actors will flip out and I've seen it. You know, they're like, ah, oh, we got to do it now. We got to blah, blah, blah. And I'm always just kind of like, oh, that's, that's fine. Like, I'll, we'll just do it again. You know, as long as it's right and it's done good and it's to the best of everybody's ability. Like I'm always stoked. We're going to absolutely wrap up the show very soon, but I got one more question for you, punk. We all have something coming in somehow some reason we're all friends with Lars. How did you become friends with Lars? Uh, I mean, this is, this is very easy. I was at, I was living in Philly at the time. Um, was it, fuck Lars, 04? You were on tour at the Bastards, right? Yeah, so it's 04. Yeah, 04. It was like Warp Tour, 04. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, was it like Mikey Rhino who was doing yeah. sound for AFI at the time? I was yeah. buddies with them and he invited me out. And I remember I was like walking up the ramp or down the ramp or vice versa. And you were right there and you were like, CM Punk. And I'm like, Lars Fredrickson. <laughs> and it sounds 
corny, but it's the is the Step Brothers movie where it's like, did we just become best become friends? Best friends. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, and that's that's essentially uh, how it happened. You know, uh, I grew up listening to to Lars's music. You know, and Lars. You know, and you find out like that this guy that, uh, for better or for worse, Lars you idolize. You know. Um, loves pro wrestling and god damn it you're a pro wrestler so it was just kind of like uh the synergy was there you know i mean like and 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 we hit it off we stayed in contact and the the rest as they say is is history you know like anytime i was ever in san francisco or whatever stay at lars's house anytime lars is in chicago he stays here uh and it's a it's a it's a damn it's a damn fine partnership well i want to tell just hold on a second dennis because I want to tell this story while you're here, punk, because I tell this story all the time. But it's not coming back up, so you might as well tell it. Well, here's the thing. So one time, punk's staying here. He's got to wrestle Bra, I think it was, over in, in Oakland, right? I hope this is the story you're about to tell. I hope. Oh, it oh, it I is. think I know what you're going to say. Okay, okay, good. So the office is on you about getting some new pants. Do you remember this? No, maybe this isn't the story I think you're going to tell me. Pants? Well, you never no, no, no. pants. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> no, 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 listen, because he would come out on TV with holes in his in his pants. Maybe you had that pair of pants with all the holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything I had had holes in it. I didn't give a shit. Okay. Well, but now they said that you needed to dress better or something. When you're like, fuck them, whatever. And you said, well, maybe right. I'll get a new pair of pants. And, and you asked me, where can I get a new pair of pants? And I was like, well, there's a great Levi's store over there in the Castro. And the Castro in San Francisco, you know, is, is a very famous gay neighborhood. And you looked at me and you said, we're not gonna see anything weird over there. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, dude, it's, it's cool. We'll be fine, we'll be fine. And then literally remember we parked at the Walgreens and we got to the corner and across the street, there's two naked dudes with fanny packs. <laughs> it gets better. Walking a, walk, yeah, walking a goat. <laughs> what? Yeah, he had a goat. He had a goat on the leash. I oh my ass. god! I remember you butt ass naked, <laughs> just swinging in the wind. And I remember you looked at me. You're like, and I was just like, I kind of no sell it. I'm like, I don't know, bro. <laughs> but I just remember the look on your face. But now that it's been documented, I'm just. I have to say. Because you know, I tell these this story and I don't think people believe me very well or very much just because the goat factor, like the goat. what are the fucking odds that two dudes, okay, two dudes naked in San Francisco, high odds, you know, it's a 50-50 chance when you go outside, you're going to see that. But walking a goat, but they had them on a rope, remember the leash was a yeah. rope. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, was totally the, awesome. Was that the story you thought I was going to tell <laughs> No, it wasn't. Now I'm gonna let everybody down because I'm not telling the other story. Because what's <laughs> the other story? Uh, man, I um, all right. <laughs> There's the clap in case you need to edit this. But I never tell the story, Lars, because I I, uh, I feel I never want to explain the connection you had uh, with Robin no, no, Williams. No, no, tell it, tell it, tell it, tell it. Okay. Okay, yeah, I never, I never ever tell this story because, you know, <laughs> Lars was very, very good friends with Robin Williams. And there was, there was one time I'm sleeping upstairs in Lars's house. And I like to sleep, ladies and gentlemen, to this day. Like if I don't have to get up and do anything, I don't got to set an alarm. 
I'm a free spirit. You know what I mean? I've got planes to catch. I did a whole lifetime of that. So I just sleep until I wake up. And I was doing that at Lars. I woke up because somebody had jumped on top of me while I was sleeping. And as I wake up and I turn around, I'm like, it's fucking Robin Williams. So like, what do you do? Right? Like, this is the first time I've ever met Robin Williams. And I think as the story goes, he was just like, oh, the wrestler, he's sleeping upstairs right now. And Lars was like, yeah. And Robin being who Robin is, was like, fuck yeah, let's Jimmy Superfly snooker this motherfucker. So he runs up, he runs up and he splashes me in the bed. I wake up, I immediately think it's Lars. So I just start charging after him. Um, halfway through running down the stairs, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's Robin Williams, but I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna get this motherfucker now. And I half-ass tackle Robin Williams. He's like trying to run out into the street. And then I just picked him up and I'm airplane spinning Robin Williams. And I just like put him down and he's like i gotta go and he like just like fucks off and like runs away and i'm like standing there just like that's the damnedest way to wake up and i just remember like walking back in the house and being like is that robin williams yeah all right cool cool very cool nobody else in the world has that story no, well, you no. forgot yeah. when Robin Williams got you in the Canadian Destroyer that he learned from a major wreck. <laughs> <That one. laughs> All right, listen, for everybody at home, the podcast is over. We're going to say our goodbyes off the air. CM Punk, thank you for enduring this podcast. Well, you guys are going to have to have me back because, um, you know. Well, there's so an much hour, to talk about. An hour is too short. Yeah, an hour an hour is too short. And, uh, you know, I, I had no idea Petey worked for a wrestling company, so I want to explore that further. I had no idea Dimitri was going to be here, so I want to explore the parallels between, um, you know, double A, triple A ball working in the indies, Lars playing shitty clubs. Like, there's all of that. I, all this stuff ties in together, and I think it's fascinating. So I, I, I will come back. Absolutely. <laughs>